Hi, my name is Dr. Andrew Hahn, and today is August 1st, 2021, and this is the 23rd episode of the podcast, Guided Self-Healing, Fearless Living. And this episode is going to be a discussion of what in our work we call the non-material realms and the kinds of traumas and the kinds of healing of traumas that can come from these realms. The reason I'm talking to you about this today is uh, we did our first demonstration last week and it turned out to be a story in the non-material realms. And several of you uh, wrote to me about that and had some comments and some questions. Uh, The comments ranged from really to uh, uh, do you really believe in this stuff to a variety of other things. Um, So I wanted to address some of those just in a full podcast uh, so we can have this conversation in an ongoing way. And so again, if you wanna reach me, you can reach me at uh, ahan at lifecenteredtherapy.com is the best way to reach me if you wanna chime in on this conversation. So having said that, what I first want to say, what are the non-material realms? They are stories that either literally or metaphorically or symbolically, however you want to make sense of them, have to do with phenomena that are not in what is called normative Western reality. And normative Western reality, of course, is anything we can experience through our five senses. So because that's what we generally say we believe in, although I think many of us have had experiences that uh, make us wonder about this, but many of us haven't, and so there's a wide range of ideas about this. The first thing I want to say about these phenomena, which are things like what are called entities, or ghosts, or curses, or uh, what we call superimpositions, which are dark energies, or not so dark energies that take you over, or extraterrestrial, which could be stories about beings from other planets, dimensions that some of us may have thought we saw and some of us may think is a bunch of hooey, uh, or angels or guides or gods and goddesses. Um, But there's stories that have to do with that. And um, the first thing I wanna say is, from my point of view, the least important thing in the context in which we're here is whether these stories are literally true or not. What I care about, and I think what the people I work with care about is whether they are useful or not. And a useful, what I mean is, are they in a scientific sense, the most elegant stories that are elegant in a scientific sense is both uh, an understanding that is the simplest, most powerful way of understanding something, whether you think about it as literally true or just as a narrative from the imagination. And then the next question of course is, because I'm very practical, does it make a difference for us? And a difference means either that your symptoms transmute in some ways so that they're not there, or more importantly, we're freer. So even if we have symptoms, uh, we're not, uh, a slave to them, we're freer. And so we can just live with whatever is, including the changes that will naturally happen if we can stay open to life. So that is the first thing I wanna say. Um, 
although I have my own ideas about whether how real or non-real these phenomena are, my values really, or my experiences or anything else really doesn't matter for our purposes. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is that um, it's very useful in the sense that if I have clients who come and they've experienced certain things, they may have held this experience to themselves for literally years. I actually will tell you a story about that um, because when she told someone this who had a lot of influence on her, she said that he said that she was crazy and put her on Thorazine and she vowed she would never talk about it again, which she didn't do until our diagnostic system said that something had taken her over when she was like between six to 10 years old. And I asked if that made sense to her and she then told me, so I'm gonna share that with you. So it has the impact of, you know, for people who really have believed or know in their own being that they've experienced these things, it gives them a safe place of saying it will be held there. It opens us also to possibilities if we're uncertain about these things. And it may open us to new possibilities for what the nature of our problems are and also possible resolutions. And even if we totally don't believe these things, I would say it doesn't really matter because what we're looking for is change. And if it never occurred to you to even open to the possibility of the kinds of stories we're gonna talk about here, uh, you can still not believe that they're true, but they may in fact be very useful and they may be the most powerful stories we can find to transform blocked energy. The next thing I wanna say is, um, our framework will give you a sense of different themes. Let me give you an example of what might come up in our framework. Let's suppose you, which is, I've had clients like this, you had a trauma around being part of a cult and you were a child, so you had very little choice um, because your parents, and in this case that I'm thinking of, were part of it also, so of course they brought you into it. Okay. So let's say you want to work on some trauma that you say arose out of that experience. Well, I can do a diagnostic with you and I can say, okay, let's understand how we can best work on this. And it may say to work on it directly, at which point we will just work on your experience that you were traumatized in some context that we're going to call a cult. But it might say any of the other things that are these stories that I've told you about, the entities, the ghosts, the, the ghosts, the curses, the superimpositions, the extraterrestrials. Um, what do I mean? Well, it must be true if you can hear the dog in the background. So there must be something here because the dog is certainly having a response. If you can't hear it, there was the dog barking. Anyway, be that as it may, let's look at the different ways that the protocol might be useful and knowing this might be useful. Let's say it says in my framework, in the framework we use called life-centered therapy, that your trauma with a cult equals an entity, then we would know, because it was a core theme with entities, which simply put, is that something is attached to you and draining your energy, and it feels foreign, then that would tell us something about your relationship with a cult, that in some way it felt like it was this external, like, living being that wasn't human that was really sucking the energy out of you 
then that might be very useful. Let's say it says that it equals a ghost, then it might be a theme where you're feeling haunted by something that even though it's not there anymore, still is in your life affecting you very much. And it feels like, you know, this ghost never left. Let's say it says it was a curse. Well, that one may not be hard. You may have said, you know, I never occurred to me, but I really feel like I was cursed by this cult and they wanted terrible things to happen to me, particularly when we all left. And so it feels like they've had an influence over me. Let's say it says uh, it was a superimposition. Then what it would be saying is, you know, this cult, even though I'm not there anymore, it feels bigger than I am. And the energy of it is still, you know, doing something horrific to me and it still has control of my life even though i'm not there anymore and the the energy of it still is feeling that way to me let's say it says it's an et story well you might there are a lot of different et stories you might have felt like you know it felt like you were abducted against your will into this thing or it might have felt that they were doing experiments on you or it might have felt like if you know because there are many different kinds of extraterrestrial stories there are stories that are stories of abduction so you could feel that way like you were like taken out of your life life and abducted into this thing there are stories of implants and being uh experimented on so you could have felt like that 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 was what was going on here that uh or you could feel not only were experimented on but that something was placed inside you like an implant and it was still controlling your life even though they weren't still around physically um it could be a story of a walk-in which would mean that it almost feels like it was a living being that got inside you and was pushed you aside and was like you almost felt like you were mouthing their words and not your own because you there's almost like the cult was being spoken through you or it could be like you began to feel like you were an alien that you no longer felt human and we can discover all of this stuff with our diagnostic and sometimes it can be unbelievably useful so these are the kinds of things that i want to say about these stories and again whether you literally believe they're true or not is the least important thing. It may be very important for you if um, you really believe they were true. And I do my diagnostic and I say, does this resonate with you that you had an experience like this? And you say, oh my goodness, yes. I was, like I said, I was really scared to share something about that. So there are many of these stories. I'm gonna to try to go through them you know, quickly and give you a few examples, but I don't have that much time because, you know, we're limited here. Um, but if you want to know more, we have all these stories on our website and we actually, which is exciting, I can say, because I'm there right now. You can read all about them in our book, which hopefully is going to come out on February 22nd, which I'll tell you more about later. But we have a lot of these stories there and they're really interesting. And I'll share some of them even here with you, um, some of the same, some of the different ones. Um, although probably because I do these this way, you'll get a lot of the same ones because they're like dreams to me. So the ones that are most present for me are the ones we just wrote about. So, but we've had over 27 or 28 years, countless numbers of these non-material realm stories. So the first kind are called entities. An entity is simply some being that is not human because if it was human, it would be a ghost. And um, so it, it feels more like um, if you know these terms, lower astral, if you don't know that terms, it feels more 
animal-like, like, you know, something is in your field, but it doesn't feel human. It doesn't feel like it's um, a higher order being that has more power than you. It feels more like there's something attached to you and sucking off your energy and uh, making you sick or doing a variety of other things like that. And the story that I'm thinking of right now, because, um, you know, I'm, like I said, unless I go back and look at all my cases, um, they're the ones that sort of stick with me for a variety of reasons, mainly because they came under special circumstances or something, um, is a one where a woman came in with really horrific allergies um, after she cleaned out her basement and she was sure it was because of mold. Um, and she had had bad allergies before, but she hadn't had them for five years, I believe. And suddenly she had this really awful allergy attack. So she went to her doctor and he put her back on medication for the allergies, which she knew took about a month. And the next day she came in to see me. And it turned out that her allergies were the equivalent of entities, which means that, you know, there was something, allergies typically are a story that, as we said in our prior podcast of something, the world is dangerous in some way. And, you know, something that, you, that you can't distinguish whether it's safe or not safe, like attacks you in some way. So you have to try to defend yourself from everything. And in fact, the story that came out in this entity, which she saw, which made sense to her, particularly in terms of her relationship with men, is that she saw a wizard and the wizard had all of these beings that were um, under its command. And the wizard told all these little animal-like beings to go and attack her. And they did. And she could literally experience that, which uh, was not too far out for her, but certainly nothing she ever would have expected when we came to work on our allergies. And then she had this idea about how she could change them, which is vibrationally with light. And essentially what happened is when she brought light to these um, little beings that she could experience, um, she actually could feel them dissipating and then she could see what was happening with the wizard um, because he, once he didn't have this kind of power over her, dissipated also. And interestingly, of course, in terms of symptoms, which we care about a lot, the next day she told me that all of her symptoms that were really kind of bad because, you know, if you have a mold allergy, it can really make you feel sick. Um, and it was clearly from her point of view that, and clearly from her allergist point of view, it was that all the symptoms went away the next day. And uh, she speaks about this. You can actually read about her on our website, but she also, she's very happy to tell the world about this. And she said, it can't be attributed to the medication because I know the medication takes three to four weeks to kick in. So however you want to make sense of that story, which in a way doesn't make any sense, you can certainly understand it symbolically about men and powerful men who were like wizards who had power over her, which would make sense in her life, or you can experience it like it was literal. And there was this literal wizard who sent these literal beings that most people couldn't see into her field. It does not matter. It doesn't even matter to her, although she was kind of interested, but she said like, I don't really care because my allergies went away. And uh, so what can you say? So entities. Ghosts. Ghosts are simply living human beings who are now dead, however you want to understand that. Um, how you understand that is 
they're dead, but the fact that you can still feel them in this realm and that they can literally um, affect you, uh, of course, is controversial. Uh, and I was just listening to a podcast about um, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, of course, was interested in death and dying. And then she says, uh, one day uh, a woman came up to her and said, you know, I want you to know that uh, God or something, I, I'm paraphrasing now, really thinks you're, you know, you're doing what's right, doing what's important. And the only thing about that, of course, was this woman had died recently. And so she saw her, Elizabeth saw her like she was like totally living. And Elizabeth said, no one will believe me. So she said, would you write down your name? And this woman did write down her name, apparently in handwriting that was clearly her handwriting, but still Elizabeth apparently took a lot of grief for this. So um, be that as it may. Um, in the book, we tell a couple of stories about ghosts and we use those stories because they were very interesting in that it was the same symptom in each case. Um, and both of them, no one would have ever thought it was a ghost. It may not, it would not have occurred to either of these people that this horrific symptom that they had, which was the equivalent of wanting to, like, if they wore anything near their neck, they wanted to rip it off because it felt like it was, you know, uh, in one case, such a weight around their shoulders that they wanted to get it off, but they couldn't get it off. And in another case, it felt like, you know, it was like whenever she put anything on that was, you know, around her neck at all, it felt like there was this like feeling of being strangulated. And, um, you know, and she had to, she felt like she had to rip this, whatever was around her neck off. Well, in the second case, not surprisingly, given how she described it, which I just described it to you, it turned out that the ghost, which she had not made the association with at all, was the ghost of her father who had actually hung himself. And um, as she found out more about the story, he felt very bad about leaving her and felt awful. And um, she also felt like she needed him. So they were in this kind of reciprocal relationship. So of course he was in her field and of course, he had this noose around his neck, which of course killed him and it felt like it was killing her. So, um, but she literally could feel the energy of it. So it wasn't just like it was in her bloodline. It was like this being had been here for a while and it was still here and she could literally feel the presence of her father in a way that doesn't feel like a genealogical story. And I, I mean, I, there are some clients who have stories of their blood ancestors in their field, but it doesn't feel quite the same. It feels like they're going and finding that person, you know, as kind of a guest. But in this case, it felt like this person had been here. Really, she then realized, really, since her father had died, although she wasn't so aware of the symptom and had not made the association, which is amazing when you think about it, but people don't. I mean, they don't say, oh my God, you know, it feels like a noose around my neck. And then, oh my God, my father um, hung himself. So she then had this very poignant talk with her father and um, basically said, you know, you need to go someplace else and I need to be able to survive, you know, without you and um, used light. I'm sure this was a long time ago, but that's typically what you use. And she could feel him going off to where he belonged and all of the symptoms went away. The second story, which was a different story and it had a different feel altogether, was like, you know, having this like weight 
around your neck, and it also turned out to be ghosts. And um, in that story, this woman had had neck surgery, and after the neck surgery, she started having these weird sensations in her neck, and her doctor said nothing, nothing that happened in the surgery could possibly account for this, and but she kept going back and telling him, well, maybe nothing can account for it, but like something must have happened because I had the surgery, and now I have this like horrific, you know, sensation in my neck that I have to like, you know, it's like it, it's so irritating. I have to get it off of me. And um, so, and it turned out that that equaled ghosts. And, and what was very interesting, of course, was that um, the story was she was in the hospital and um, she was getting the neck surgery. And what she came to realize was that a whole group of ghost children had died in the hospital and she was the closest thing they had uh, they could find to a mother. And she could begin to feel all of these dead children who were still here, however you want to make sense of that, grasping on to her neck for dear life, needing a mother. And of course, you know, she was the best game in town, so to speak, and they all came to her looking for that kind of mothering and parenting and and care. And so when she realized what was going on, she could tell them that she understood that they needed a mother, but she could send them to a place that they would get much better love and mothering than even she could give them. And because of course they didn't know they had died because they had all, you know, why goes here? Because typically they're dissociated and they feel stuck here, which they did. And so um she said, you know, there's a better place. And she pointed them in that direction until they could all see light. And then she uh, helped them go there. And then symptoms all went away, right away. Uh, at which point, of course, you know, it was vindicated that it wasn't about the surgery. Uh, um, and But it would never have occurred to her that it wasn't about the surgery because, of course, they seemed, it was the obvious precipitant that, it wasn't, and we could find that with our diagnostic also. So ghosts, um, curses, I have so many so many stories of curses. Um, and of course, you can um, be cursed by someone, you can curse yourself, you can feel cursed by God. I mean, there's all these different stories, but curses, you know, are really horrific. And um, I just had a story um, because this, these curses can occur in a lot of ways. You know, someone literally can curse you, whether it's in this or another lifetime, or they can curse you. Um, I want to give you this information. They can curse you like content, right? Which is in this case, I'm thinking of uh, a curse might be you'll never get pregnant, for example, or you'll never heal. That's straight content. But there are other curses that are process level curses, which are even more um, hellacious because they, those are curses not about the content, but about the process. Like a curse like that might be something like the harder you try to get pregnant, the more miserable you'll be. So that you're trying to do something that would enhance your joy, but we're going to like really screw with you and like uh, 
make it so that the closer you get, if you're getting closer, then we're going to dash all your hopes because it's the very process of trying to do it is what we're going to curse, you know, or the really horrific one if you're coming for healing is a curse that the harder you try to heal and to evolve and to grow, the more you're going to be miserable or something. I've seen curses like that. And if you have never considered that and you say, oh my goodness, I've tried everything and it just like, you know, the harder I try, the worse it gets. Well, one way that could be is somebody put a curse on you, which is going to be the harder you try, the worse it gets. Um, the other thing to say about curses um, is that they can be what are called personal or archetypal. And archetypal curses in our framework is that you're not being cursed for who you specifically are. You're being cursed for the role you play. So if we take, you know, if you guys know baseball, if we take an obvious example, a lot of people curse Jackie Robinson, but they weren't cursing Jackie Robinson because he was Jackie Robinson. They were cursing Jackie Robinson because he was the first African-American or Black person at the time who played baseball and broke the color barrier. So they were hurling epithets at him, not knowing anything about him, of course, but except for the fact that he was black and he was doing something that for them was cursible. And, you know, if you take on the curses of like a whole collective, uh, it can really do something to you. I think it's, you know, it's very difficult to survive when you have that much energy going on being that kind of hateful energy that's being sent at you and hateful energy, by the way. Um, if you know Masuri Moda's book, you know, Messages from Water and just the energy, if you send like hateful energy at water, you can look at the water crystals, you take pictures of them, they all break down. You send loving energy to the water and they turn into such beauty. It's the same with us. So, you know, most of us, we can't, we can't handle like a whole collective you know, sending hateful energy at us. And we really does feel like a curse. Um, so I guess I will just say that. Um, and I will tell you the most horrific examples of those is people like, you know, they're very, you know, seemingly very old souls, but they're in a really dense place. You can feel this funny kind of combination of unbelievable lightness in them, but also unbelievable heaviness. And often people like that who tend to be over-responsible and um, uh, there's a lot of things to say, but an archetypal curse that takes place there would be something like, of course, you know, you're a, a fallen angel because you're, these stories sound something like you were there as someone who was supposed to hold with love a whole collective of people. And then something horrific happens like a war or a tsunami or an earthquake or something. And they, you know, they say, you know, we prayed to you when you weren't there for us. And how could you not have, you know, if you were merciful, you would have protected us from this, which of course is not the role of, from my point of view anyway, and stories bear this out, the role of these guardians or these people who hold the space is not to take away your pain. It's to hold you in your pain. And the second it is that, uh, you know, there's an intervention when that's not the role of these people and not the covenant they make, which is just to hold whatever happens with love, including being, of course, cursed to the, you know, to the Dickens, is to just meet all of that with love. But the second you try to defend yourself or you think you've done something wrong as a guardian angel, which some do, um, because their stories usually are they've 
they they raced into this before they were ready to be that kind of guardian because they had you know good intentions and it's really quite something about you know if you do that you your energy it's like falling through you know from a very from it's like falling down octaves is the best way i could say it so it's like you've had this experience of being in a very high octave and suddenly you're in a very low octave and it's you know it's like trying to learn the whole lesson all over again in this case that you know it's not your job to take away someone's pain it's not your job to sit with your powerlessness i mean it is your job to sit with your powerlessness and if you don't know that um He'll just keep going after it until you finally learn that if you're in that kind of guardian role, your job is to hold the space with love, not to take away people's suffering, unless life invites you to take away their suffering, which is a whole different thing. But your role is to be in alignment with something higher than even yourself. So that's curses. Um, um, There are two, we have a lot of superimposition stories in our book. These are stories of people who have been taken over by energies. I'm gonna tell you two stories that we have that I think are very important stories um, because of what the implications may be, however you understand it. The first story is a story about somebody who had been hospitalized many, many times because she had what was called dissociative, it's now called dissociative identity disorder when she was being hospitalized was called multiple personality disorder, which are really the same thing. Um, I can tell you why they changed the name because we don't have a lot of time here, so I'm not gonna do that. But, and she had also that with what are called psychotic features, which is that she had bugs that were crawling all over her, except that she was enough of a witness to know that there probably weren't really bugs that were crawling all over her. Um, but it felt that way. It felt like, you know, it felt like they were eating her and doing horrific stuff. And so she kept getting hospitalized for all of this, both because she couldn't account for time and, um, um, she, and she knew that there was more than one of her and, but all of them were experiencing these psychotic features, interestingly, because that's not always what happens because it'd be like two different people who had the same problem, but that's a longer story also. But what it turned out was that in my diagnostic system, in our diagnostic system in life-centered therapy, it said that her dissociative identity disorder and the psychotic features were not about any of the horrific things that happened to her that included incest and really awful violence and, uh, and uh, violence that was directed at her and violence that she witnessed that was really horrific in her family and... Uh, and you know, rape and a whole lot of other things. Any of these, these things could account for it, but it said that a dark energy had taken her over between ages six and 10, and that was the whole cause of this. And I was a little bit reticent to say that to her. I was just starting out with these things because this, you know, I started doing this work in 1993, 94, and this would have been somewhere in the mid nineties. So I hadn't been doing it for very long. So with a little bit of hesitancy, I said, does this make any sense to you that really you're, you know, I know something about your history, but that the problem is some dark energy took you over. And she looked at me like, and like looked at me like she couldn't believe what I was saying. And she said, I know exactly what you're talking about. And she went on to tell me that at age eight, she was in this, um, she was Southern Baptist and she was at this fire and brimstone sermon that her father was giving. Now, of course, things were going on with her father, but that's part of the story, but I don't think it's this part of the story. Um, and she said, while that was going on, this really horrific energy just like 
swallowed me up and I've been in it ever since. And she said, I was aware of it. She could see, I could feel it. No one else could see it, but I could feel it. And she was already um, in, because she was having mental health issues for the reasons that I've just alluded to. She had a psychiatrist and she, her report was she went to the psychiatrist the next day and her report was the psychiatrist said to her that she was crazy and put her on Thorazine. Now this was the sixties, you know, cause this was over 30 years before I saw her. So it would have been somewhere in the mid sixties. 1960s and so she vowed at that point that she would never tell anyone again because she didn't want to be called crazy by anybody because she felt like she was crazy enough until I said this to her and then she said well I do know exactly what you're talking about and I said well we can do something about that she even knew the moment it happened so I said all right the most powerful moment to deal with this is the moment it came in it's where you have the most leverage um and so I had her find the eight-year-old that she was who's here right now. So we're not regressing anybody again. This is very important. The eight-year-old is here that it's happening to. So she could choose to tune into that eight-year-old and feel it in the body. And then it became very vivid for her what was happening. And um, she could really experience by choice what had happened back then. And uh, which she could then experience um, very powerfully. And uh, it said in our muscle testing, it said that she in fact knew what she had to do to let go of this. And uh, she looked at me like, really? I don't think so, because consciously she didn't know. But I said, like, just tune in to a deeper part of you that's, you know, here because she was choosing it. She was there as a witness still. She wasn't, you know, she, it's like being, like I said before, it's like being an actor who's choosing a role and the role was her as an eight-year-old, but she wasn't regressing to being eight. She was choosing to be eight by becoming the body sensation. So I said to her, well, the part of you that's the witness here might be able to tune in to something higher and find the answer. And she looks at me and she says, I know what I have to do. So I have to do this dance. Yeah. turns out this woman was 116th Native American. Um, and she knew very little about this stuff, but it was not, I think, a coincidence that she had just really started to look at this like the prior week. And she said, I know they do some kind of dances. I'm supposed to do a, this Native American dance, which she didn't know any Native American dances. And I will tell you, this is the one, if I had one session I could videotape, because I'm getting goosebumps right now, and this is probably 25 or six years ago, and I can remember it. She starts doing the most intricate dance. It clearly, to me, looked Native American, although I don't know that that well. But it was like she was doing this, like, you know, to this drum beat that seemed the way she was doing it was Native American. She was making this very intricate pattern, um, like she was dancing around something in this geometry, I can still see what she was doing. And about a minute into it, she looks up at me as to say, what am I doing? I mean, she didn't say anything, but she had this look on her face like I'm being danced, I'm not doing this dance. And about a minute later, you feel like you literally can feel this if you're attuned. You could feel the room kind of shake a little bit and then the whole room got brighter and she said, I'm done. And I muscle tested and it said she was done. And I will tell you that woman had a lot of problems because of all the things that I said to you, but I will tell you, I now know that she was never hospitalized again. I knew that when I was seeing her, but then we moved away from each other. So I was kind of wondered what happened to her. Um, because all the time I was seeing her, she was not hospitalized again, although certainly she still had a lot of, a lot of suffering because of all the things that happened and you know we weren't done when we stopped but sometimes life takes over well it just so happens that um two years ago uh, i was at a doctor's appointment and 
in she strolls and we see each other and of course we know who we are and I remember her and I say hi to her and I said tell me how your life has been and she said you know it's been pretty good and we were talking she said I've never been hospitalized again and I've never had that feeling of like I can't account for time and you know the bugs didn't really bother me after that so go figure um now I'm not going to tell you that everybody who's psychotic it's because a dark energy took them over or anyone who's Associative identity disorder is because a dark energy took them over, but I would say, you know, come up with a better explanation. Because I haven't found one yet, and I have worked with other people like this, and the stories were not as dramatic, but, you know, I find this, you know, not, I mean, I don't work with a lot of people in this situation because I'm an outpatient therapist, but, you know, I would really... I'd really like to see if we could ever go into hospitals and see if we could do something about this because she could report the whole thing. And of course, if she said that to someone and she told them what was going on, they would say, you know, she's psychotic and they would put her on medication. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I'm certainly saying it may not address what the real problem is. The second story of this was a colleague and this story feels also very important. Um, this woman at the time was probably around 60. She was a colleague, still is a colleague, and uh, very heterosexual and very sane, at least in the way that I'm talking about sane. You know, we all have craziness, but she was sane. And um, certainly um, had never had the kind of symptoms that I'm going to tell you that she came into me one day with, and she said, you have to help me, because she said for about the last month or so, um, I'd been like, we were near a school and she said, I'm seeing these prepubescent girls. And let's just say she had this voice in her head that was very lascivious talking about what she ought to be doing to these girls and uh, their body parts and stuff like that. And she said, um, I can't account for this. She said it started about a month ago and nothing happened a month ago. And I mean, I went and visited my mother, but you know, I've gone and visited my mother before and we have our challenges, but nothing like this has ever happened. So I can't account for it. So we checked out what was going on and it turned out that it, her highest intention was to deal with this thing. And it equaled what we call a superimposition, which is a dark energy that takes you over. So she goes back, she finds the her because it said it actually originated about a month ago. And so I can have her find the her that this happened to a month ago and she can find that in the body because she could find the the horrific things that the voice she was hearing and she could find the sensation associated with that so we could have her find her a month ago that this was happening to when she said i know exactly what happened and she said this never would have occurred to me and the story she told which i pretty much remember although this story also took place 20 or so years ago at least um, but it was a very powerful story so i may have the details somewhat wrong but basically i have them right she at the time was having a love affair with a policeman who was on the vice squad and um they were they had a sting for pedophiles and apparently um her lover got into a fight with one of the pedophiles a pretty significant fight and she said, I know exactly what happened. She said, that night we had intercourse. And uh, she said, now that I'm feeling it, I could feel this energy because of course, 
if you're going to be open, particularly as a woman, I mean, energetically, you're both open, but in your field, it's like something's penetrating you. She said, this energy got inside me. And she said, I could feel it getting inside me. And never, I never knew this. And so how you typically deal with that once you know what's going on, you can literally feel the energy of it and then you can transform it usually with light. It's always vibrational, but it can be sound. It can be light. It can be prayer. It can be anything. In her case, it was light. And she was a pure channel of light, channeled light into this dark energy and the dark energy was gone and the symptoms just went away in a second. And um, the reason I'm telling you the story, which is a very important story, I think, is because I'm not going to tell you that all pedophiles who are locked up or doing horrific things are all about dark energies. I'm not going to tell you that. I don't know. But what I will say is, um, she said, you know, I'm heterosexual and I have a pretty strong ego. You know, I have my issues, but I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty strong in terms of my capacity to hold on to reality. She said, like, you know, it took me all my willpower and everything I could do not to go out after these girls. And if that's true for me as a heterosexual woman who was, you know, in the kind of, you know, solid place of doing a lot of work, she said, I can only imagine what it'd be like if I didn't have that level of resiliency and I was a man. She said, I'd be in jail right now, at the very least, jail, psychiatric hospital. So it'd be very interesting to see if we could go in and work with these people, what might happen? Um, so anyway, this is our quick tour of the non-material realms. And uh, like I said, I'm bringing it up now because last week we had a story that was an extraterrestrial story. I hope you all listened to Heather's you know, demonstration, the session we had, and uh, let's go from there. So, you know, we're all discovering together. We really are. And like, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your reflections or I'd love to know how, if you think this is crazy or what your ideas are about it or what touched you about it or if it really, you know, made you sit up and think because you say, oh my goodness, I have a new insight about myself or about the world. Anything is fair game. And of course, if you write, I will respond. And uh, you can get me at ahan at lifecenteredtherapy.com. If you want to find out more about us, you can go to lifecenteredtherapy.com. Our book is going to be coming out on February 22nd. I hope you pre-order it and write nice things about us at Amazon and wherever else you get it. It's called uh, The One Hour Miracle, Five Steps to Guiding Yourself Healing. And then the subtitle, which we really like, is the, the subtitle is um, Change the Story, Reauthor Your Life, which was the title we thought was the most sellable, uh, but the most in alignment with what we felt like we were doing. So, but people do get one hour miracles, as long as you know that a miracle may not be what we typically think of as miracles, although it can be. I mean, I've seen things, certainly, that if you had told me I would see them, I would have said, yeah, and we're in the Bible. But I also think that miracles are when you get a little bit more freedom, and you're not as stuck, and you're not as suffering. So, you know, so you can let go. Anyway, if you also want to do a demonstration with me, um, I'm happy to do a demonstration with you. All you need to know is that you like Heather, that will be going out to the world. And um, But what I say also is that you can always, after we're done, if it's really something that you say, you know, Andy, I can't have that go out to the world. I've not had that ever happen, but 
there will always be a first time. And if you say no, I'll say we'll erase it. So having said that, I look forward to the next time we have a chance to be with each other. And until then, goodbye.